Hey everybody, this is Matthew Soltisiak and you're listening to Not The Same Old Lions Podcast. Using my sports casting background, I speak with a variety of guests and interview key players to gain more insight on what makes this team go. As the Detroit Lions enter a new gritty era, we'll look beyond just the kneecaps when it comes to the analysis. Welcome to another episode. In this episode, we discussed the two big trades the Lions made this offseason and how these position groups, the secondary and the backfield, are affected. We also look at some of those early draft picks and discuss positional draft value. We touch on the backup quarterback position and discuss parts of the schedule and how it's looking if you want tickets to one of the Lions games. Hey, this is Rob Rubick. Stay tuned for more great insight from This Is Not The Same Old Lions podcast. I'm joined today by James Cook, senior sports writer for the Traverse City Record Eagle. You can also hear him on the Get Around podcast. It drops on Mondays. Good to have you here, James. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, let's talk about the Lions' moves. Two of their biggest moves were addressing some specific parts of the team, and these both included making trades. First, they addressed the biggest need on the team, which was a defensive secondary. They signed the free agents Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, and to most people's surprise, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They drafted Brian Branch, and they added all these guys to the secondary. In the process of that, throughout that, they also decided to move on from and trade Jeff Okuda. Now, I, I heard a little bit when they traded Jeff Okuda, I was hoping that they would keep him and add more, keep the depth there, and maybe he would continue to try to resurrect his career. In the end, I understood there were multiple reasons for making that change. So going forward, I am not only just comfortable with their secondary, I'm excited and optimistic about it. How about you? Yeah, the, that's I think the biggest difference you're going to notice about this team this year is this is the defensive secondary, on that side of the ball especially. You're going to see three completely new cornerbacks. You're going to see, I mean, Jerry Jacobs will be your, your fourth guy. Branch will probably be playing some nickel corner. Gardner Johnson can move around and play nickel corner and safety. If Branch and Gardner Johnson are like kind of the same player in, in a way, which is interesting that they drafted Branch. Um, so that he's got a year to learn from the guy who's his NFL clone. You know, getting two immediate NFL above average starting corners in Sutton and Mosley, and then adding two great nickel corners and guys who can also play safety and move around, play all over the place give the defensive coordinator some flexibility to call all kinds of different uh, packages and, and formations that they want. It's, it's going to be night and day. And then, you know, hopefully that just gives those guys on the defensive line a little bit more time to get home too. Well, and that's exactly it. And the flexibility the guys like CJ Gardner Johnson and Brian Branch can bring to that secondary, that versatility also could have played into part of the reason that Jeff Okuda was traded away, knowing they had these other guys. They even brought Branch in after. And so that gives more time to develop him and more playing time. Plus, like you said, Jerry Jacobs will be in the rotation as well. Yeah. And they, and they've kind of got role players. And, you know, if you're, I mean, if you're saying like what, what, what role would, Jeff Okuda be, he would be the big corner. He would put on a big receiver, right? But I mean, if things work out well, Melifanu is that guy, you know, especially in goal line situations where his speed's not going to be a, a thing. Okuda would have been nice depth, but very expensive nice depth. So I understood why they just took a draft pick for him and, and chipped him off. And that does make sense. Even though it's his fourth year in the league based on where he was drafted, it would not have been a cheap contract. The other area of major change is the Detroit Lions backfield. Now, this started with the signing of David Montgomery. 
that that left Jamal Williams looking for work elsewhere, and that started the seismic shift that we saw. Compounding that was drafting Jameer Gibbs, and then that led to the DeAndre Swift trade. Now, like I just said, I didn't love the Okuda trade, but I could understand it. The Swift trade, though, I've got to tell you, I like that even less because even though I know he was likely going to just walk a year from now, I loved the depth he would have given us and the talent level we would have had as a third guy out of the backfield. We know running backs get banged up. It would have been amazing to have him. Yeah, I think he would have been very good insurance for an injury to one of those two starting guys. There's a decent number of free agents who are still out there. They're starting to get picked off a little bit here and there, but there's still some really good players. Um, You do make a great point. There are some talented guys out there. I just think about the trade of Swift. We got a fourth round pick two years from now, and then we swapped seventh round picks this year. So we picked up Antoine Green in the seventh round. So we we moved up 30 picks to get him with that trade. So if Antoine Green pans out, this could be a good trade. But I'm also like, do we really have to trade him to Philadelphia? Because he really fits in well with that team. And they're a serious competitor of ours this year if we want to do something to make if we make the playoffs and want to go far yeah I mean Philadelphia is another team that wants to run the ball so they want to have multiple running backs in there and they've got two of their main three back from last season but we know with DeAndre Swift that's the thing that's the rub with him is is he's he's usually never healthy the Lions had a good running game last year but you know with Swift being hurt a lot and Jamal Williams was was great around the goal line, but between the 20s, they, like, the efficiency numbers are horrible. And that's the one thing we know is Dan Campbell loves to run the ball. And with Gibbs and Montgomery now, they, they should be able to. Behind this line, that's a top five line in the NFL. And then two good running backs behind them and you know some pretty decent blocking tight ends. Yeah, you're exactly right. But with David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs joining our backfield, the top two positions are elevated quite a bit. We're still trying to figure out the depth of that backfield, but the top two spots are elevated, and that's exciting. Let's start talking about the draft picks as a whole. Let's look at the first three. We are likely to get some key contributions from Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, and Sam Laporta. Each of them improve their position group immediately. We just had the rookie mini camp. What are some takeaways you're getting from these guys early on? Uh, well, I heard Jack Campbell looked very good and that Sam Laporta looked incredible during the rookie mini camp. They, they also had a, a wide receiver from Eastern Michigan that played well enough that they actually are going to bring him back for training camp. You know, maybe he's somebody who can fight for a special team spot or something. Laporta obviously is a huge step above what we had at tight end last year after the Hawkinson trade. Yeah, he's an Iowa receiver, but he's not exactly Hawkinson. You know, Hawkinson was a very good receiver and a very good blocker. Laporta is supposed to be just an excellent seam-stretching tight end and a pretty solid blocker. So he adds another just explosive element, I think, to the offense. Jack Campbell's going to start right away on defense and seems to just be exactly the type of player that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell want. Well, that's the thing. Those two two first-round picks are likely to have instant impacts and they both go to the high end of the depth chart. And Sam LaPorter, while there's a learning curve for the tight end, he brings more talent than we have in the entire room. So let's let's go over to this thing called positional draft value that is a big reason why a lot of people gave the Lions bad grades. They said you don't take a running back in the top 15, top 10. 
Obviously, two running backs went there in the top 12. And even though people didn't like the Lions taking one there, we know other franchises were looking at taking Gibbs if we didn't. And then the inside linebacker, they're saying, well, you should wait to the second or third round for that pick. But these two areas, we believe we upgraded them right away with not just starting caliber players, but guys that we think could be superstars. And the top two defenders that we did want, they were off the board. Yeah, and positional value is positional value is great if that's also a position of need. But if it's not a position of need, then then why take that position? But I mean, running back was a position of need. They obviously wanted to upgrade that position, and that was one of their focuses in the offseason, going, you know, getting Montgomery and then drafting Gibbs. Same thing at linebacker. I think linebacker was a, a big position of need. Uh, you know, that that five two defense they kind of gimmicky played last year a lot. I think was out of necessity because they just didn't feel they had, you know, that third linebacker uh, that, that can play a lot. So you may see a lot more standard defensive alignments come this year. Um, and maybe still some of that five two. Well, well, you pointed out, you need to have that position of need to draft that position. And like one argument I heard is people said, you know, Deshaun Watson was drafted at 12. So you really need a quarterback because think about the talent value there. My pushback is Deshaun Watson or a quarterback of Deshaun Watson's talent level was not there when we were drafting at 12. You don't just take the highest rated quarterback when it's your turn to pick because that's the most valuable position. You need a player who is actually going to be successful with your team. And I would argue positional draft value is this. The guy you draft has value because they play their position well. It's hitting on your picks and not missing on them. I I understand there's some math involved for salary cap issues and whatnot and how they play into that role. But more important than any of that is drafting a player who's going to be successful in the league. Yeah, and and, and drafting drafting somebody just because they're a good value to sit on the bench is not good value. If you draft them with the, the intent that in a year or so they take over for somebody else and you're going to develop in the meantime, that's great. And, you know, Jameer Gibbs is going to play a lot. Jack Campbell is going to play a lot. You know, if you had, if you had drafted, you know, a defensive end or a corner there, how much are those guys going to play this year with with all the other corners that they have and all the other defensive linemen that they have? You know, you got to that guy has to get on the field to have value. And not only that, it's got to be the right guy. We both said if Will Anderson was there, or Devin Witherspoon, we think the Lions would have taken those guys because there was something special that they liked about them. But obviously, the other defensive ends, the other defensive backs, were lacking something that didn't meet that standard, and so they went and grabbed something that they thought would be a big value. So now let's move to the backup quarterback position. It's a position we've talked about. It's a position the Lions addressed in the draft. We loved it. They drafted Hendon Hooker, but we all know Hendon Hooker's coming off a major injury. Recently, Coach Dan Campbell said this is like a red shirt season for him, so to speak. So don't expect much, if anything, from him. So that means we have Nate Sudfeld right now. We also picked up Adrian Martinez out of Kansas State. I think he may have been in Nebraska before that. Yeah. Where do you think we sit with this? And do you rule out the chance of us still going after a guy like Teddy Bridgewater? Because Teddy Bridgewater hasn't signed, even though the word got out, we made an offer. Recent news says Matt Ryan's in the announcer booth nowadays. So mm-hmm. Mason Rudolph just re-signed with the Steelers. Where does that leave us with options? And do you think the Lions are even looking at other options? I imagine that they're looking. Um, but I imagine that the contract offer that they're willing to make to to make to him is going down. 
because the amount of landing spots for him is shrinking as well. You know, the amount of teams that actually are looking for a number two quarterback, and that's what he is at this point in his career. If they, if they feel that he's lowers his price and they get a deal, maybe they bring him in. Um, but if he wants like top backup money anymore, I, I don't think that they will. I think they'll I think they'll roll the dice with uh, you know Sudfeld and you know think that maybe halfway through the season Hooker might be ready to play if he needed to in an emergency. You know, and then there's Adrian Martinez, who's kind of a wild card guy that has a lot of the physical traits and tools you look for in a quarterback and has that dual threat ability as well, which is just kind of a bit of a project. I do like that we drafted somebody and we brought in an undrafted free agent. We now have some more talent put into that room and we'll see what happens. I would be hopeful that they would sign another veteran, whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or Carson Wentz or somebody else that might fit in that category, though there's not much left out there to choose from at this point. But like you said, there's not a lot of landing spots for these guys either. Exactly, yeah. So what do you think's next for the Lions? You know, they just they brought in another kicker. Um, he'll battle it out with Badgley. But we have, like we were talking earlier, about $9 million in cap space. And so do you think backup quarterback's the only spot we're looking at? Do you think we might add somebody to another part of the roster? Or do you think they're kind of just going to stand pat? I think they'll probably stand pat. They might look at the uh, the June 1st cuts, you know, somebody who can come in and, and play a role for them. So you may see a June cut or June 1st cut come in, but I wouldn't imagine anybody very expensive. I think that they'll just try to maybe use some of that money to re-sign like Jonah Jackson or any number of that guys, roll it over in the next season. And the other thing is you can save that money for the trade deadline. If the Lions are right in the playoff contention and doing well, now you can take somebody off of somebody else's team for, for a draft pick and try to put yourself in a position to win now. That's a great point. Having some flexibility during the season to make some moves is a very important thing to take under consideration. In the last episode, I broke down the schedule quite a bit, talked about lots of storylines and different aspects of it for the Lions. Are there any big takeaways, though, that you have from the season, things you liked or things you didn't like about it? The, the one thing I like is the second half of the season for Detroit. You know, the, the games aren't necessarily easy games or anything. I mean, Chargers, Bears, Packers, Saints, Bears again, Broncos, Vikings, Cowboys, and Vikings. But only one of those games is going to be played outdoors in a bad weather city. Second half of the season, they go to Chicago once. Everything else is either in a good weather season like or place like, you know, Los Angeles Chargers or in a dome. That is very fortuitous. Yeah, we don't have a game out in Buffalo in late December. Um, they play in Green Bay when it's going to be nice and warm, most likely. And I do think their home opener against Seattle might be one of their toughest home games. Yeah, I mean, Seattle Seattle rang up, what, 48 points on them last year? And they've improved since then. Yeah, so I, I think Seattle will be a, a very solid uh, opponent. And, you know, obviously the Chiefs week one. I think I saw where the uh, the initial point uh, point spreads are out for like every game and the lions are favored in 12 of 17 games. They are. So let me ask you then knowing that they're favored in 12, that would put them at 12 and five for a betting thing. Do you predict that will be their record at the end of the year? Or do you have a different number in mind? I know things can change in the next couple months, but how are you feeling? If they can get to 12, that would be phenomenal. I think that would get them in position to maybe have a home game you know, for sure to make the playoffs at 12 and five, you're, you're not missing out on the playoffs with that, that record. But I think to get them a home game too. imagine a home game in Detroit would be the atmosphere would be crazy. 
It would be phenomenal. I I like that 12 and, and 5 thing. I'm going to go with 11 and 6. I don't know what it is, but I'm thinking 11 and 6. That's a two-game improvement from last year. And even though I'm saying 11 and 6, I don't really think we should be underdogs in any game other than the Kansas City game and maybe the Baltimore game. Other than that, they're both road games. I don't mm-hmm. think we should be underdogs, but I'm going to put us at 11 and 6 because we know in the NFL you can win or lose any week if you don't bring your A game. And, and I don't know if you have a lot of people who listen to or who are betting folks, but that first week, the, the Chiefs are favored by seven in that game. And I don't know that that's probably going to go down much or whatever. But historically, over the last few years, under Andy Reid's tutelage, the Chiefs have actually have been, they've been very good. Their record has been very good, but their record against the spread has been awful. Really? <laughs> they, they beat teams, but they don't beat teams by as much as you expect. And the Lions have done the opposite the last couple years as they've been covering the spread. Mm-hmm. Talking about the schedule, talking about games, I, I called the Lions just the other day again and spoke to them about tickets. And I, I spoke to them a couple months ago about season tickets and just kind of inquired. And they had told me how, how many areas were sold out with season tickets and, and whatnot. It wasn't all sold out, but there were certain areas that were, and they had never had this much demand. Well, talking to them the other day, they told me that out of the 70,000 tickets in their stadium, they're thinking about 55,000 of those might be accounted for by season ticket holders alone. Yeah, that's that's pretty impressive. And it just shows, I, I think, the, the confidence that these fans have in this team and that the, you know, the Lions are onto something and, and going to be contenders. Now, I don't want to put the cart before the horse or anything, but we know of franchises like in the past, the Washington franchise and even the Green Bay Packers, they had a waiting list for season tickets and it got to be the point where it was even hard to get tickets to games. If this trajectory continues, it could start to get that direction for the Lions. It could. And I would expect that you would see tickets to be more expensive than they have been in the last couple of years, too. And, you know, and NFL tickets to any stadium are not cheap regardless but i think you'll see ticket prices rise they'll rise probably on the secondary market as, as well for sure well, i'm looking forward to uh, not only the season opener against kansas city on the road but then 10 days or so later we open our home season against seattle and that will be a great game as well looking forward to that and a great atmosphere yeah i, th- I think so you know in that the other thing about that the week game the week before the chiefs the spot that the nfl put the lions in like that's usually one of the spots that they, you know, rematch the Super Bowl champion against somebody else who made a long playoff run the year before. But instead of said they put the Lions in there, I think that says something about what the uh, the NFL thinks about what the Lions can do this year too, in matching them up and giving them a primetime game late in the season. You know, I mean, they've got that. I think it's the Cowboys game. It is, yep. You know, is a is a primetime game. So I think that they the NFL is banking on the Lions being there. And I just really like the Lions' schedule. Awesome. Well, as we get ready to wrap the show up, James, any last thoughts you have on any of the topics we covered today? Some people may think, may look at the Lions and what salary cap they have left and say, well, they've got more than $9 million. But there's a lot of other things I think that people don't take into, into account that uh, they have to pay the practice squad players. They only have four of their eight draft picks under contract so far. I think your practice squad ta- costs about three and a half to $4 million a year. And then most teams just kind of bank $4 million or so, I think, just for the in-season cost of, you know, having to sign players to the active roster, 
um, when somebody goes on into reserve and have to sign a new guy. So I think the, the $9 million is like what's left over after all of that. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they use some of the money that they have left over to make some upgrades going into the season, or if they keep that in their pocket so that they can maneuver if something comes up in a crisis situation. James, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. And thank you so much for tuning in, folks. Please subscribe to Not The Same Old Lions podcast to get alerts about new episodes. Also, follow the show on Twitter, at Matt Soltesiak. Check us out on YouTube as well. And until next time, stay gritty, my friends. 